You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, this is week number four in our series, Keys to Powerful Prayer. And uh, I'm just taking my time with this series. I believe the Lord has some things that he wants us to see from the word of God. So I just encourage you, study along with me. You know, our notes are available online. You can download them absolutely free and follow along or you can uh, study after the sermon and you can just get the Bible and take your time and look up the scriptures. And, and, and that's really important. I really believe that, that you need to take the time. Don't just hear the message once is what I'm trying to say. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it implies that it's hearing in a continual sense. You know, faith doesn't come from having heard just one time. So get in there and let's study this together. Now we're going to look at our foundation scripture found in James chapter five and verse 16. I'm going to read it to you from the new King James version, then from the Amplified Bible classic and then the Passion Translation, focusing really on the last phrase of that verse. The verse in its entirety in the New King James says this, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5.16 in the Amplified Classic, the last part says this, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. And then the Passion Translation, again, of that last phrase in the verse says this, for tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Now, again, we're going to, as I said to you, we're going to take our time in this series and we're going to cover whatever the Holy Spirit wants us to cover. And, uh, you know, the, the subject of prayer is so vast and so wide and can cover so much. There's no way I'm going to be able to exhaust it in this series, but we'll cover as much as we possibly can. And, you know, as I said to you before, I don't, you know, mean to imply that I know everything about prayer. I'm learning about prayer just like you are. And I thank God for the word of God. And I thank God for other men and women, godly men and women who have made materials available on prayer that we can study. So again, I encourage you make yourself available to those things. So let's define again, what is prayer? Now this is my definition and uh, simply put prayer is communicating with your heavenly father, the creator of the universe. Communication is the key, communicating back and forth. And we'll talk more about the receiving and hearing from the Lord in future sermons. But again, simply put, prayer is communicating with your heavenly father, the creator of the universe, and it is connecting with him in a real and powerful way. And so power, as the verse says in James 5, 16, is made available to us 
through prayer. Prayer is the doorway through which the Holy Spirit makes the power of God available to us. And of course, it's the prayer of faith, uh, meaning that we pray in faith and faith believing that God hears and answers our prayers. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit has led me to go in a direction this week to cover a very, very important part of your prayer life or what needs to be an important part of your prayer life, and that is the help of the Holy Spirit in prayer. What does the Holy Spirit desire to do in our lives, in our prayer lives? And so I want to go to the Gospel of John, and I want us to look for just a moment at the distinct works of the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus told us that there are two distinct works that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. One is in the new birth, where you are born again of the Spirit, the Scripture says, as He works in you to cause the new creation to take place. But then we also believe the Bible teaches that there is a second work of the Holy Spirit, and that is found in the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit that believers uh, should uh, experience. Now, let me say this going into this, and I don't want to imply that anybody that is born again is less of a Christian if you don't agree with the baptism of the Holy Spirit or have received the baptism of the, or have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are not any less of a Christian. You are just as much born again as somebody who does believe that. However, I do believe that you are missing out on a tremendous resource, and I, I, I don't want to minimize it by using that word, but the Holy Spirit desires to move in our lives in ways other than or in addition to just the new birth. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the doorway into those things that the Holy Spirit desires to do in our lives. And so we do believe this. And so we're going to teach this from that standpoint. And, and uh, let's look at what Jesus had to say about it. In John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well one day, and he's sitting there talking to her. And uh, she, she is getting water, drinking water, and he asks her to give him a drink. And so that begins this conversation. And in verse 13 of John chapter 4, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, talking about the natural water that she's drawing from. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And so Jesus is referring to the first work of the Holy Spirit there, talking about the, the water of the Spirit that one experiences when you are born again. And he, notice that he likened it to a well. You know, we don't deal with wells much today, but, you know, if you're familiar with old farm life, you know, you got your water. That was your main source of water for your own consumption. And so the water in the well or the spring 
is for the believer's benefit. So we are born again and the Holy Spirit is made available to us. He lives and dwells on the inside of us, each and every one of us. And he makes his ministry available to us to minister to us in our lives. You know, you can be born again and not necessarily have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but still be led by the Spirit, be inspired by the Spirit, receive revelation by the Holy Spirit. And so you're, it's in you, He is in you to provide for you a spring of water for your Benefit. Now, I want to go to John, the seventh chapter, and read verses 37 through 39. Jesus, it says this, verse 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, uh, the old King James says his belly, meaning the inner, the, the, the core of your being, your spirit man will flow rivers. Notice the difference. He said in springs in John chapter four, but here in John seven, he uses the phrase rivers of living water. Verse 39, the apostle said, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom these believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this implies that there is a second experience for the believer. And in that experience, the Holy Spirit becomes a river flowing out of you, out of your spirit. So in the first mention of the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, He's a spring in you, meaning that it is for the, the ministry to the believer. This verse, these verses say and tell us that the Holy Spirit is likened to a river and it flows out of us for the benefit of other people. And so that is a key to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit fills you to the full so he is able to flow out of you and be a ministry and a benefit to other people. Now I want to go over to Acts chapter one, and I want to read verses one through 11, where Jesus himself described this second experience. And so in Acts chapter one, verse 11, we're going to read the first 11 verses. The, the scripture says this, this is Luke, the, the physician writing. He says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Luke is making reference to his gospel that he had already written, and this is a follow-up to that. Verse three, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. Now I want to stop right there and I want to mention this to you. The disciples at this moment are born again. 
In John's gospel, the Bible says that he breathed on them and after he was resurrected and they believed in his resurrection and he breathed on them the, the breath of life by the Holy Spirit. And that's when the apostles, the disciples were born again. Now they're already born again. They've gathered with Jesus. This is 40 days after the resurrection and he is getting ready to ascend to heaven. And he said, verse five, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, which the father has put in his own authority. Notice they, they were a little distracted by him being the Messiah and setting up his kingdom and so forth, but he has to redirect them. And in verse eight, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men, angels, stood by them in white apparel who also said, men, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus described in Acts chapter 1, the second work of the Holy Spirit. Notice the work before was the Holy Spirit within the believer. He said that power will come upon you. So this is a work that the Holy Spirit does in conjunction with being in you. He fills you to the full and comes on you for service and ministry to other people. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an additional dimension of the work that he does in our lives. But it is, and I'm laughing and I'll tell you why in just a second, but it is the same Holy Spirit that came in us when we got born again. Now, I want to say this. The Holy Spirit is not twins. There's only one Holy Spirit. There's not a different spirit within you and a different spirit that comes upon you in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, it's the same Holy Spirit. And so when he came upon the apostles in Acts chapter two, the Bible says that they had another experience where the manifestation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was made known. So the initial evidence of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. In Acts chapter two, verses one through four, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So this is a few days after he's ascended to heaven and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them cloven tongues as of fire, one 
sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So notice, these are born-again believers. They have the Holy Spirit living in them, but now they're filled with the Spirit to overflowing, and that overflow shows up in the manifestation called speaking in other tongues. And it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now I want to fast forward to Acts chapter 10, where Peter was ministering in the household of Cornelius, and he was speaking. This is the first time that Gentiles had heard the gospel. And uh, Peter had gone to minister to them at the direction of the Holy Spirit. And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. So the Jews that were believers born again were astonished and amazed as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. So this wasn't an experience that was just for the Jew. This was an experience that's for Jew and Gentile alike. Verse 46, now listen to this, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God and then Peter ministered to them. So notice these folks heard the gospel they got born again, and at the same time they got born again, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues. So again, tongues was the initial evidence that they were filled with the Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 19 and verse 6, Paul was ministering in Philippi, and it said, when Paul had laid hands on them, the believers, people that had been born again, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And so we see the believers in Philippi that had heard the gospel uh, under uh, Philip, the evangelist, and uh, then Paul and Silas went down and ministered to them, and they were filled with the Spirit, the Bible says, or the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So the manifestation of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the evidence that this experience has been received is the privilege and ability supernaturally to be able to pray and speak in other tongues. Now I want to talk to you for just a few moments about what are some benefits of being able to pray in the Spirit. Now, let me differentiate right now. There is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in a public service or in service to others or a public gathering. And that's what the gifts and manifestations of the Spirit are for, mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Now, what I want to talk about and primarily focus on for the sake of this particular series is praying in other tongues in your private prayer life as a believer. So what are some benefits of being able to pray in other tongues as a believer? Well, here's the first one. The Bible teaches that tongues is primarily for a believer's own 
personal spiritual edification. And I'm talking about the private use of tongues or private speaking in tongues. First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse four says this, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, both of these are outward manifestations of the spirit, but one is designed, the, the, the privilege of being able to pray in tongues is for your personal edification, whereas prophecy or prophesying under the gifts of the spirit is for the congregation's edification or for public edification. Jude 20 says this, but you beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now notice tongues aren't mentioned in Jude 20, but throughout the New Testament, there is that use of praying in other tongues and praying in the spirit are used in the same context and mean the same thing. Both of them happen or uh, ministries of the Holy Spirit. So tongues is primarily for your, and I'm talking about praying in other tongues, is for your personal edification. Now, here's why this is so important. You can't edify someone until you've been edified. And that word edify means to build up. Uh, the, the picture that it paints is charging like a battery. You know, if I have my cell phone and I use it day after day, eventually the battery is going to die unless I plug it in and keep it charged. Well, you need to spend time praying in other tongues so that your battery, your spiritual battery stays charged up. And that way you're full, you're charged up so that you can edify someone else. So another benefit is that God has given us this divine, divine means by which we can speak directly to him. He has given us the means whereby we can speak directly to him. First Corinthians 14, two in the Amplified Classic says this, for one who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men, but to God. And again, this is in your own private prayer time for no one understands or catches his meaning because in the Holy Spirit, he utters secret truths and hidden things not obvious to the understanding. Now, there's one translation that says that when you pray in other tongues, you speak forth divine secrets and mysteries. So you pray directly to the heavenly father. And then in verse four, first Corinthians 14, it says that you pray divine secrets and mysteries. Now, how is that? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit is praying through you. Now he knows those divine secrets and mysteries. He knows those things that are within the deep heart of God. And he knows how to tap into those things. And we have the privilege through praying in the spirit of being able to not only have direct communication to the heavenly father, but to be able to declare and to, to speak forth in other tongues, those divine secrets and mysteries. Now, I want to talk to you in depth about this one benefit, and that is this, praying in other tongues 
is praying in line with God's perfect will. Now, it is so important. You know, we've already looked at first, uh, first John chapter five, verses 14 and 15, that says that when we, and this is my paraphrasation, that when we pray according to the will of God, God hears our prayers. And if God hears our prayers, we know that our prayers are answered. And so, you know, and that is praying out of your understanding because we can gain a certain amount of understanding by the written word of God and find out some things that we can pray for and pray about and be able to receive just from the written word of God. But there's some things that that we may not have spelled out clearly for us in the written word of God that are specific to our lives that we can pray and we can believe for the help of the Holy Spirit and praying in the spirit and our prayers will be in line with the perfect will of God. So praying in other tongues is praying in line with God's perfect will. Now I want to share some truths with you this morning, and I have gotten these truths from Pastor Rick Renner's book, Sparkling Gems from the Greek, an absolutely marvelous book. I highly recommend that you get it into your library. Pastor Rick, again, you've heard me mention him before, but Pastor Rick is a Greek scholar. He pastors a magnificent church in Moscow, Russia, has a great ministry all throughout the former Soviet Union. But he wrote these books uh, sparkling gems from the Greek volume one and two, they're devotionals for everyday use. And he goes into the Greek language and causes it to become so clear. Now, for those of you who might be new, the, the new Testament was originally written in Greek, translated to Latin, and then eventually ended up in our English language. The, uh, old Testament was originally written in Aramaic or Hebrew, excuse me, and then translated into Aramaic and Greek and then so forth and so on down the line till we got it into our English. And so it's very important that you have some things in your library so that you can look some words up because it's going to cause some truths in the Bible to become so clear to you. Now I want to go to a scripture in Romans chapter eight, verses 26 and 27. I'm gonna read these two verses to you and then I'm gonna dive in and we're gonna talk about some specific words in these verses that I promise you will cause these verses to jump off the page at you. But let me read Romans eight, 26 and 27. This is again from the New King James Version. Verse 26, likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So there are four words that I want to highlight in here. And uh, really there's five I'm going to mention. Um, I want to just look at that first phrase. Likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses. And then he describes what that weakness is. You know, the old King James says infirmity. And in the, this particular context, it's not talking about a physical infirmity at all. It's a spiritual infirmity or it's translated more accurately weakness. 
Now, why, what is this spiritual weakness? Well, he, he describes it in the rest of the verse. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. So there are going to be situations in your life that you're not going to know how to pray about that situation as you ought to or as you need to. And so that becomes a spiritual weakness that that causes a shortfall, if you will, in us spiritually for us to be able to draw upon the Lord's help in being able to address certain situations. But praise God, there's hope. He gives us the answer to this. So I want to point out four words in verse 26. The word helps. Likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what, underline or highlight that word, what we should pray for as we ought, underline that word, but the Spirit himself makes intercession, underline that word, for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he that searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So four words helps, what, ought, and intercession. So we're going to talk about those four words, and then we're going to look at putting all that together, what that means. So let's look at the first word, helps. The first word helps in the Greek language is a compound word. It's the Greek word, sun ante lambano, and it's three separate words that are stuck together, compound words in the Greek language. And it means this, that the Holy Spirit in conjunction with and partnership with us. Now, I want to point out, it's, it's very important to note this, that the Holy Spirit won't do your praying for you. He will partner with you. He'll connect with you. He'll cooperate with you. But he has to have you. you. You have to participate in this. So this word means the Holy Spirit in conjunction and partnership with us becomes so enraged, the Greek says, against whatever is causing us difficulties, he takes it personally upon himself. Meaning that when there's this situation that we're facing, and, and it could be a wide array of, of anything, and we're facing that situation and we don't know what to do. We don't know what the answer is. And because that situation has arisen, the Holy Spirit becomes so enraged, not maybe in a negative way as far as anger is concerned, but becomes so enraged in the fact that, um, that we're finding a shortcoming in this that and is causing us difficulties. And because of that, he responds and takes it upon himself. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit takes your situation upon himself personally. Hallelujah. Now, I told you to underline the next word, what, for we do not know what we should pray for. The Greek word what is a simple little, or the English word what is the Greek word T, T-I, and it means, and it's, and it's, you might just brush over it, but it's, it plays a part. And it means this, it underscores that it's a very little thing. In other words, it might seem very minor to us 
and we don't necessarily know how to pray for the small things, not to mention the larger things in life, but because Paul used this word T, it means that the Holy Spirit is interested in partnering and cooperating with you and addressing even the small things in your life. You know, we have a tendency, human nature is to say, well, okay, Lord, I'll handle the small stuff, you handle the big stuff. And no, God wants to partner with you, the Holy Spirit wants to partner with you and collaborate with you on the small things and the big things. See, we're so limited in our view that we might miss a small thing, but the Holy Spirit knows all things. He knows it all. He knows every detail and he knows how to address every single one of them. So the Holy Spirit, likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what large or small we need to pray as we ought. Now the Greek word for our English ought, O-U-G-H-T, is the Greek word dei, D-E-I. And it means this, as the new situation requires and dictates as a new problem demands. In other words, this might be something new in your life that you've never dealt with before. You know, it might be a new problem that's arisen in your family with your child or, uh, you know, a business situation. And you, you don't know how to address it. And so we don't know how to pray as we ought or as this new situation requires and dictates. But thank God for the Holy Spirit. Now, the one last word uh, that I wanted you to underline was, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, this Greek word for intercession, our English word, is another compound word. And it's Hooper Intugchano. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm probably butchering the Greek. But Hooper Intugchano or Chano is the only time that this word is used in the entire New Testament. This appears no other place in the New Testament. So the Apostle Paul, of course, by the Holy Spirit, felt it very important to use this particular word. And so this word paints the picture of someone who has fallen, coming across someone, fall, uh, let me back up. This word paints the picture of someone who has come upon someone who's fallen into some kind of quandary. It would be as if someone has fallen into a deep cavern and is stuck. I remember not too long ago, I was uh, riding in my car and the weather had been kind of rainy and bad and I was coming down this road and in the ditch on the side of the road, as I was passing by, there was a car down in that ditch and uh, the front end was buried down in the ditch and the rear end was sticking up. And so as I passed by that car, I slowed down to look and see, was there anybody in the car that needed help? Well, fortunately in this situation, the car was abandoned. Apparently the person had gotten out and was either getting help or was waiting on a tow truck or something like that. But that's what this picture paints. As if the Holy Spirit 
has come upon someone who's fallen into some kind of quandary. It would be as if someone has fallen into a deep cavern and is stuck and needs help getting out. There is someone, the Holy Spirit, who immediately swings into action to deliver this one who is in trouble. It conveys, this word conveys the idea of a full-scale operation, a rescue operation. You know, I think about how when people are, are out in a boat and the boat runs into problems, I have a, a very, very dear friend who is in the Coast Guard and, and they get called up to go and to see after people that get stranded or, or their boat sinks or capsizes, whatever the case is, and they launch a full-scale rescue operation. I mean, they don't go out there and just with the intent to see what's going on and kind of just go back and go about their business. No, they launch in their helicopter or whatever, you know, the cutter or whatever means that they have, and they go out there to fully rescue and to remedy the situation. So what this verse is telling us is, is that the Holy Spirit, it's as though he passes upon someone who, is, who has fallen into a ditch or a hole or a well and is in need of rescue. And he launches a full-scale rescue operation to get that person out of the situation that they're in. So here's the picture that this is painting for us in the Greek, is that sometimes you and I find, yourself, find ourselves in situations and we don't know how to pray about that situation to call upon and to draw upon God's help to get us out. And we know it is only by the help of the Lord that we're going to come out of this situation. And we don't know how to pray as we ought. Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit passes by or he comes upon our situation. He sees what's going on and launches through our prayer a full-scale rescue operation to pull us out of and to draw us out and to rescue us from that situation. See, we don't know how to pray as we ought about that situation, but the Holy Spirit does. He knows how to pray in that situation and he swings into a full-scale rescue operation. And to do this, he doesn't just stand up on the edge. No, he jumps down in that hole with you to get you out of it. So you're no longer facing that situation alone. You now, through the privilege and ability of praying in the Spirit, have the Holy Spirit in that situation with you. He has stepped into your dilemma and is initiating a rescue plan to get you out of that mess. Hallelujah. Now, here's some good news, and I just feel prompted to say this. And this includes messes that we might have created. You know, there's times we find ourselves in situations that other people have created for us, but there are times where we make our own messes. Well, thank God for the mercy and the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit, because he'll get in that situation and begin to rescue you out of that. You need to know the Holy Spirit feels everything you feel. He understands the complete inadequacy that you're experiencing in that moment. 
and he willingly joins you in your circumstances, sharing in those emotions and frustrations. And then he begins to put a supernatural plan of rescue into operation to get you out of that problem. So when we find ourselves in a situation that we don't know what the answer is, we don't know how to pray, and it's not spelled out directly for us in God's word. We know God is our helper, and we know he has the answer, and we know we need to respond in faith, but we don't know specifics. Well, thank God for the help of the Holy Spirit and that he jumps into that situation with us. He gets down in the pit with us, and then he launches a full-scale rescue operation operation to bring us out of that as we pray in the spirit. So again, you're speaking directly to God. You're praying divine secrets and mysteries. You're edifying yourself. And then you're cooperating with the Holy Spirit to help you and rescue you in situations that you don't know how to pray for as you ought. Now, let me read these verses to you from the Passion Translation. It says, in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weaknesses. For example, at times, we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words that can't be articulated in our known language. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny." Now, I'm just prompted in my spirit to go one verse further in, in this context, because there are a lot of people who quote the verse I'm getting ready to read to you, and they quote it out of context, okay? Now, I want you to look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Now, in my New King James Bible, the first word in that verse is and, A-N-D, so what that means is this verse is connected to what we just read in verses 26 and 27. Now, here's what the verse says. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, people will quote that verse and quote that verse and quote that verse and use that verse just navigating through life whether they are praying in the spirit or not. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that verse is predicated by the other two verses. In other words, let me say this to you. All things don't work together for good unless you are drawing upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help you in prayer, praying in the Spirit, and letting Him take hold together with you against those things that you don't know how to pray for as you ought. That is not just a blanket statement. That happens as a result of us teaming up with him and giving him, the Holy Spirit, an opportunity to work in our lives and in those situations that we don't know how to pray as we ought. 
And so I want you to know, now I want to just look at that as a promise. When you spend time praying in the Spirit and you allow the Holy Spirit to partner with you and hook up with you, jump in the ditch with you and get you out of those situations, then you can know that all things work together for good to those who love God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to bring you out of that situation and he's going to cause it to work out in your favor. Praise God. Man, what an awesome promise. And so I want to encourage you to draw upon this precious ministry that the Holy Spirit makes available to us. Now, one th last thing that I want to say to you is this. You know, you might feel so weak and inadequate sometimes, but I want, want you to hear this. That is the worst time to quit praying. Let me say this to you. Your weaknesses don't disqualify you from his help. Listen, they qualify you for his help. You know, when we feel like we can handle it ourselves, the Holy Spirit will back off and say, hey, handle it, hot rod. <laughs> and you know, the times that I've done that, I've messed it up. No, I need his help and you do too. And that's the, the awesome ministry of the Holy Spirit that he makes available to us called praying in the spirit or praying in other tongues. Now, I would be remiss if I did not give you an opportunity. First of all, if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I want to pray quickly with you to help you walk you through receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The scripture says in Romans chapter 10 that if we believe in our heart that Christ died for us and that he was raised from the dead and we make him the Lord of our lives, we are saved or born again. And so being born again is very easy. It just means opening your heart receiving what Jesus did for you and receiving the free gift of his grace and forgiveness. So if you've never done that before, pray this prayer with me. Say this, say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I need Jesus. And I believe with all my heart that he died for me. And I believe with all my heart that he was raised from the dead. Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me in your blood and make me clean and holy. Thank you for forgiving me and thank you for giving me a brand new start. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer, here's what happened. You just got born again. Now, here's the, the other exciting part to that. Being born again is the only qualification to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just lead you in a prayer to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there's plenty of resources. We've got other resources on our website about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and more in-depth teaching on the Holy Spirit that you can make yourself available to. But if you are ready to receive what Jesus promised, this power from on high to help you in your life and to enable you to be a witness for him and to give you power for this life, then I want you to just pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I know I am born again. 
Now you made this experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, available to every believer. Now I receive by faith the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Fill me to the full and overflowing with power from on high. I believe, I receive, and I believe I am filled with the Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name. Now here's what's gonna happen. Down on the inside of you, you're gonna sense what we already read, the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. You're gonna sense something coming up out of your spirit. And that is what the Bible calls utterance in other tongues. In other words, that's what the Holy Spirit inspires you to speak forth with your mouth. Now the Holy Spirit doesn't take over your mouth. It's still your mouth and still you have to put it into action. But he, the Holy Spirit, gives you the utterance to speak forth from your natural mouth. So if you, once you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which you have, he will provide the utterance and it's not going to make sense to your natural understanding, but you have to articulate what you're hearing. And it may be one simple syllable. See, you need to understand this all happens by faith. And as you take a step and give an utterance to that first syllable. Now, some people just break out and are, and are, it just flows out of them. Other people, it's one syllable. And as you, you step out in faith and you give utterance, speak forth that one syllable, more begins to come and more begins to come and more begins to come. But here's the key. You have to take that first step. So I want to encourage you when you hear that utterance down here, it doesn't come from up here. It happens and you hear it from here. Give vocal, verbalize that, speak that out of your mouth and then the rest will begin to flow and to begin to flow out of you. And so I encourage you, act on that. Do that. Follow through with it. And again, if you need further help, we've got plenty of other sermons and lessons on the baptism of the Holy Spirit on our website. Plus, there's other resources that are available. And so I want to encourage you, step out and receive this and walk in it and begin to activate it in your life. And I'm telling you, it is life-changing. This experience is life-changing because the Holy Spirit is life-changing. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.